Psst. Hey, you. Want access to exclusive secret ops intel? Check out the link in the description. Usually, I think solving a pain point is the number one way to get people to adopt something. But getting them over that threshold of, hey, once that pain point's gone, what is my job? It takes a little bit more of that inspirational piece. So yeah, I think they're both very entangled there. Welcome to Secret Ops, the podcast uncovering the world of operations one episode at a time. I'm your host, Ariana Cafone, and today's guest is Tim Tut, CEO and co-founder at Night Shift Development, a company which focuses on helping organizations make sense of their data, primarily through their core product, Clear Query. This episode dives into all the technical questions that I know you're curious about, but aren't quite sure what it is. We're talking about artificial intelligence, augmented intelligence, augmented reality, cybersecurity, and many, many more pieces of how that fits into the world of operations. Tim is a true joy to speak to. So let's dive in. Tim, welcome to Secret Ops. I was really looking forward to this episode because cybersecurity, technology, data analytics, I mean, my, your experience really runs the gamut here. So we're going to dive into all these super yummy topics and how they relate to operations. But I guess, first and foremost, welcome before I nerd out. <laughs> I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Now, before we jump into my millions of questions, let's start out with your journey and how you got to where you are today. So do you mind taking us through that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my, my background's very, very weird. I, uh, I've done a whole lot over my career. So I, I started off um, getting into technology when I was very, very young. Um, I remember way back in the day, I used to have my mom take me to bookstores so I could go and read about, hey, how to write code, how to figure out how to do this on my own. And then I'd go home and try to test things out. I ended up building my middle school's website when I was in school, um, it was a you know very weird career. So I've always been very hyper interested in technology and how things work and how we can build those out. As uh, you know, kind of grew up, I did a handful of things in high school. I worked for a, uh, a a group that was in my local area, my local county, where we were designing a center to help students get jobs, help teens. You know, fourteen to fourteen to twenty one is really kind of what we focus on. Help them get jobs, and at the time. I was 14 years old. Uh, they wanted a youth advisory board to build this thing out. So did everything from interviewing to helping to uh, go and collect all of the office supplies, all the computers, go and get donations to kind of get the center up and running. Eventually kind of dovetailed that into um you know, actually building out a little mini monster.com where people would come in to provide their resumes and we would do job matching type things for them, um, you know, back in the day. Then went to school for computer science at Virginia Tech, worked at the uh, college newspaper there, then had an internship with a company called VAE Systems. That's an interesting start of my career because at that point during that internship, I wound up you know, getting a government clearance, started doing work for the government through my internship there at BAE, which turned into a part-time during uh, the school year, full-time on my breaks type thing. So it was nice because it paid for all my fun college parties. <laughs> uh, <laughs> kept rolling through, uh, through there once I left, um, worked for a company called Indeca. Search and discovery company, product company, was doing product development there for government. Actually, Tim, quick second, because I think search and discovery might be new for some of the listeners here. Can you just describe what that is exactly? Yep, absolutely. So helping to sift through data, figure out, you know, how do I find what I need? How do I discover the information that's important for me? Whether, you know, that, you know, falls into the category HR data or financial data, um, just really searching the data. So anytime you go to, you know, google.com, think about that for your internal business, right? think about, you know, I, I love to use the example of Amazon.com when I talk about Indeca in particular, because it's probably one of the favorite examples. Whenever you're on Amazon.com, you're looking for, you know, some new TV. Well, I want to go and I want to find a TV that's this brand and, you know, this screen size. So you have this facet navigation 
type thing that helps you drill down into exactly what it is that you're trying to find. So I want a Samsung TV that's between, you know, 57 and 60 inches. And, uh, you know, I also want, you know, the highest quality. So you have all these filters that you can drill into, but we start that off with an initial search of I'm looking for TVs. Now I drill into those things. And DECA did the same thing, but for your business data. So whatever you're looking for there, that's what we were helping people to kind of help surface in general. So search and discovery, really just helping people find and discover their data. What made you get into that? Because that immediately I'm like, ooh, yummy, like systematizing things, finding things. But I don't know if people, I mean, probably now people have more of a consciousness of thinking about that. But I don't know if it was when when you were doing it, if it was at, in like the societal consciousness of like finding your data and using your data. So what drew you to it? Sure. You know, so it was interesting. Um, that actually happened completely by accident. Um, you know, I had always been in the technology space and an interesting, you know, hey, how do we build systems to help? Think, make more things more efficient. That's one thing that you will find about me, and we'll probably discuss this multiple times um, today. Is like I'm all about efficiency. How do we automate? How do we make things simpler? So you know, through my development background, while I was actually looking for jobs, I actually had a headhunter follow up and find me. You know, said, "Hey, let me introduce you to this company, Deca. You know, here's what they do." And search and discovery really wasn't on my mind, but, you know, helping make sense of and organizing data had been something I'd done before. And I understood kind of the core concepts and understood how to, you know, build systems for that. And this was something where I was looking at, hey, how do we make this easier, non-technical humans? And that's where I've always kind of kept my, you know, mindset. So this was an interesting space where, hey, got to find a thing where we can make this easier for people that, you know, don't necessarily have the deep technical skill sets, but it was also a new area for me. Um, so happened to fall into that one at the time and actually fell in love with it there, um, fell in love with the whole concept of search and discovery and data in general. I think it brought out something that was there underlying, at the, underlying before, but I didn't really know it was there because I was always thinking about how to use data, how to collect data, but I never really thought about data as a product or you know, a software career path. Totally. I mean, when I'm speaking to people in college or in high school and we're talking about what their future career could look like, I'm like, your job doesn't exist yet. <laughs> it's gonna, in like three years, it's going to exist. I can't tell you what it is, but like it just it's going to happen. I think that's kind of what you're talking about is like the technology sort of caught up with the problems and the things that you were trying to solve. And then it gave a terminology to it. And you're like, yes, this is the thing that I want to do and sort of all came together. That's absolutely right. So yeah, moving forward from there, you know, and Ducka wound up getting bought by uh, Oracle um, years ago and then moved on, did some other things and wound up at a company called Bogart Associates doing government contracting, still focused in that large scale search and discovery area. So, and when I say large scale, I'm talking about massive, massive amounts of data, you know, just flowing in. How do we sift through it? How do we find the needles in the haystack, if you will? And you know, it was building systems using a handful of open source technologies at that time. So I kind of shifted away from, you know, hey, I have a proprietary product that you know is supporting to build and do those things to using open source technologies to kind of build a solution. One of those um, was a product called Elasticsearch. Got very, very deep into leveraging that and deploying it across a lot of my government clients. Became an Elastic certified engineer so that I could kind of do that, you know, very effectively. And while at Bogart, you know, one of the roles that I had supporting government customers was me playing middleman between my end users and their data. So we had a bunch of analysts that we supported. And those analysts would come to me and a handful of other people and say, hey, we've got this question. We're looking for where a particular individual is or, you know, how do we get access to a particular location? How do we drill in, find those things? I then had access to our massive supercomputer. We'd go run queries, write queries against that, come back with some data and say, okay, great. Here's the answer to that question. There was always a follow-up question. Okay, well, great. Now, how do we get to... And it was this constant back and forth. And that was actually where I kind of ran into this mode of, I hated doing the back and forth of, hey, question. Okay, now we have a follow-up. And I'm always the middleman between my end users and their data. If you talk to any developer, most will tell you we're all lazy. Have to do anything more than once. We're just going to automate it and then never do it again. 
<laughs> I, I started building out scripts for, you know, the general questions that people would ask me. So I would go and write these scripts and like, great, I can run this and plug in data and great, here's your answer. But it still felt like I was playing this middleman role. And I hated that whole concept and wanted to get to a place where we could help people get access to their data on their own, get those answers on their own. And then come to me for the more complex problems. Let me do something a little bit more, you know, interesting, a little bit more fun from my perspective, but also, you know, enables them to get to their answers faster because most of those things they should be able to do on their own. And that's actually when I kind of took a big step back and myself and my co-founder went and had lunch and over drinks decided we were going to start a company and we were going to build a product to help solve this problem. And that's how Night Shift started about six years. God, we're coming up on six-year anniversary this year. So um, so just about six years ago. Yeah. I got to ask, because I'm just curious, where did the name come from? Because I think it's such a cool name, but what is the, give us the background of the, around the, the name. Yeah, absolutely. So when we decided to start this company, we, uh, we were both still working our full-time jobs, had bills to pay, and we said, we're going to work our full-time jobs, come home and work at product on, at night and wait until we could actually start the company and had you know revenue enough to get going on our own so company name was night shift development because of that because <laughs> that's what we were doing cool love that history oh my god that's so fun you have lived during such an interesting time and in how technology and just our knowledge around data has changed um and also policies and you know all i mean it's like constantly I feel like in operations, my job is constantly changing every day, which is fun. It's also exhausting. So when we talk about operations, like I said in previous episodes, the, the commonality I found is people, process, and tech. So obviously, you've got the technology component real on lock. So I'd love to sort of start with the people aspect because it's clear from your history in your career, you're driven to solve problems for people. You're driven to help people create efficiencies in their life from when you were 14 um, all the way to today. So why do you th why do you believe in democratizing technology and, and data access for people? Like, where do you think that drive comes from? You know, that's a super interesting question. I think a lot of it comes from, I'm always looking for, you know, what's the easiest path for me to do something. And while, you know, I have you know, these interesting tech skill sets. Not everybody has those things. Not everybody has the time to go and learn everything. Things are getting a lot easier these days, but I think before it was this constant, there's this magic gate between users being able to do the things that they wanted to do and to drive things more efficiently. And I, I wanted to kind of help bridge that gap. You know, technology isn't just meant for, you know, the super deep uh, tech people. It's actually meant to make things more efficient so I, I, that's just, it's always been the mentality I've had is, you know, making things more efficient, always, you know, driving things to you know, be simpler. You're right. I did grow up in an interesting time. We think about, and maybe I've had influences that I don't think I've realized before, but if you think about it, I grew up in the time you know, right before the iPhone became a thing. So I used to have old sidekicks and, you know, flip phones and those types of things. And then all of a sudden the iPhone comes and transforms the entire world. And it's just simple. You know, most Apple products, they just work in general type thing. And there's that ease of use where all of a sudden it's like, hey, as a human, I don't really have to think about it. And I, you've even seen that evolve since the iPhone came out. Like I know now when I get a new iPhone, I literally just take the new one out, start the setup, and I set them next to each other. And it just transfers everything for me. And I'm like, well, that feels like magic. And that's exactly what I think technology should be for most people. This should feel like magic. It should just work and be easy because that just makes your life easier. And then you get more time to work on the more interesting problems that require a little bit more brain power. Definitely. So in a previous role that I had, I was teaching emerging technology to audiences of varying technical levels. And I found that there are people who are excited for this change and who are amped and they want to know and they want to learn and they want, and then you get the other side of the coin where people are like, nope, I don't want, this is too, uh, uh. how do you navigate the, that human element in what you're doing? I mean, I can assume that there's probably a massive educational component 
to the work that you have to do just to explain to people why they should be doing something. But how do you navigate that through through your day to day? Yeah, you know, it's a conversation that comes up every, every, almost every day, especially when doing sales, you know, for us, we actually fight that battle on two fronts now, because we fight it with the more technical individuals, because they're like, well, you're going to be taking away my job, because this is my job to go and do these things for these people. And then you're fighting on the other side, because people are saying, well, I'm used to doing it this way, and I know how to do it this way. Or, hey, if this becomes more efficient, then they need less of me. The way we always kind of frame that is what we are doing is helping to augment your jobs, make you a whole lot more efficient so that you can then move and start focusing on other things. So it's not about taking your job away. It's about augmenting your job so that we can now start doing more interesting things and start driving things in a different way. This might sound a little pie in the sky, but you know, this is one of my biggest things is I think the more efficient we become as humans, the more we can get away from doing these mundane tasks and we can automate these things, the faster we're going to evolve as a human species. And we can get to those cooler things, those sci-fi things that you know we all grew up on. I mean, we're in 2023 now, I think, what was it? The Jetsons, we were supposed to have like flying uh, jetpacks, right? You know, so we're still missing some of those things that, you know, hey, how do we accelerate that? You know, I think it's interesting now because we've now hit this interesting point of in just the last what, nine months or so with generative AI, chat GPT, everyone getting super excited about that. My sister just yesterday posted a, a post about how she couldn't believe that her brother has spent his life writing code because now she she's letting chat GPT go and write code for her. And she's like, oh my God, this makes my job so much easier. And I'm like, I'm glad you're looking at that. And she's like, I'm so much more efficient now. And I, I love for, I love to hear that people look at it that way because it should be a driving factor for you. It should be something that helps make your life more efficient. So now you have more time to go do the other things that you want to do. And she's looking at it and saying, great, I can automate my real estate business by you know automate, automating some of these processes in a way that I hadn't been able to before. So now I can do more and then I can go out and do other things that I'm interested in doing. Well, this gets into what we talked about before we jumped on recording, which is augmented reality. So augmented intelligence, all of these sort of like, it's like a half step <laughs> to what we're doing today. So can you explain what is augmented intelligence in relation to artificial intelligence and sort of what that manifests like in processes and in technology? Yeah, absolutely. So augmented intelligence is really more about taking the data that we do have, everything that is available to us, and providing that co- providing that in context to what we're doing. Um, and it's interesting because you know we didn't talk about this before, but um, you, you mentioned augmented reality, and I think there's a really interesting element to this, right? Because there are companies that I know of that do this right now, where they are looking at, hey, how do we take augmented reality? And we've all seen those movies where I'm walking down the street and it's showing me, oh, hey, there's this store and here's exactly what it is. Here's you know the price of something that you're looking for. This is taking data that we have access to and providing that in a way where I don't have to go look for it. I don't have to go discover it. It's now being pushed to me. So augmented intelligence is really about providing that extra context for you as, you know, a, as you do the normal day to day of your job, as you're asking questions, here's some other insights that may be interesting and may drive you down a path that you weren't thinking about before. So that's really what the, the whole augmented intelligence space is about. But, you know, there's an interesting blend with the augmented reality too. I mean, Google Glass tried to do this years ago where, you know, you're walking down the street and hey, it's going to do some automatic object detection and maybe provide you some other insights. There's a product that I've seen that well, actually, as you're having a conversation, it will do the uh, speech to text translation and then go and search for things for you automatically. So if I mention a restaurant, a store, and it'll just pop up and show, oh, here's where that store is and whatnot, you know, for the other users. So you're getting that extra context without having to go back and ask that user or you can drill into that type of thing. It's hyper interesting stuff. And I, I'm loving to see how that starts to blend into the rest of the world. It was a little bit different there um, because all you're starting to look at how do we mimic human brain patterns? How do we mimic how we think about things and do the things that a human would normally 
do, which is slightly different because AI leverages this additional context and all this data, but it's not just that. It's a lot more. It's trying to mimic how we would process things, um, which is where you know, generative AI space starts to get you know really interesting because now we're seeing, hey, AI can you know very closely mimic how we would write or how we would communicate, how we would respond to things. Do you think when when we say artificial intelligence that most of the time we're actually referring to augmented intelligence at this moment in time? It's interesting because I think we, I, I, I have multiple thoughts on this. Go for it. Can't wait. <laughs> Thing one, I think um, we are still very, very far off from true artificial intelligence. You know, we, we are getting much closer, but you know, even in the generative AI space, we're still light years away from it being able to do these things on its own. You know, there's a whole field now in this just popped in the last nine months, prompt engineering. How do we prompt the computer to know or provide all the context that it needs to be able to respond in the right way type thing? And that's it, it's basically we're telling the computer what to do. That, that's where we are. We're still telling the computer what to do. We're providing the instructions. That's you know what machine learning is, but it's much more efficient at putting those things together because now I can say, hey, write me a sonnet in the form of a J.K. Rowling you know chapter from you know Harry Potter or whatever it is, and it's going to come back and do that because it has all the data and context that it needs to do that. But I have to tell it to do that. I have to tell it exactly what I want it to do in this generative space. So I think sometimes it can be mixed up for most people because most people don't understand the difference, right? Augmented intelligence can also seem like magic. It's like, oh, wow, you just told me I had a 47% spike in sales and I didn't even know to ask that question, but that's great intel for me. And now I want to go and drill in. That can seem like magic to people and that can seem like AI, but really it's just providing that data and you know, if you don't know the difference between the two, sure. Sometimes I, and this is the the other big thought I wanted to kind of throw out there. Sometimes I get a little irritated because you see a lot of companies almost abuse and leverage that. And they say, oh, we're powered by AI. And it's not really AI. It's, you know, it, but it's, it's great marketing material. It's a thing that helps them sell and people are fascinated or interested and drawn to those things. And if you don't know any better, great, I'm going to run and go with it. Totally. I think we saw that, especially within like the crypto blockchain space. I was teaching blockchain at the time that everything was like going bananas a couple of years ago. And it was like fueled by blockchain technology. And I'm like, cut, get, get out of here. You know, like, like it was, it became the sort of marketing buzz term because you could get investment and users and all these different things on it. So it is hard, especially as we start to get more nuanced with our technology being able to untangle those things because unfortunately how it's being marketed is confusing the general public. Absolutely. It's one of the th conversations that I have with my marketing team because they were very heavy on me. They're like, we need to be saying something about chat GPT and generative AI and LLM. And I'm like, I don't know that we do. Maybe we can say something about it, but let's be like realistic about how we actually leverage it, how we view these things. And let's maybe provide some educational content on it. So that's the way we've been kind of operating. Sure, we'll talk about it because, yeah, you have to ride the train if you want to you know, stay relevant these days. Let's do it in the right context and not be abusive in a way. Hello, fellow thinkers. Now, if you have been a loyal listener of Secret Ops, then you already know about our sponsors, Baron Fig, the company that makes tools for thinkers. Now, I'm totally biased, but I really think that Baron Fig has the best product suite for thinkers and operators alike. And you know what? I'm not the only one that thinks so. Bloomberg said, and I quote, that Baron Fig's products are, quote, high-end and well-crafted, which they absolutely are. Their Confidant notebook is the most delicious notebook that you will use with the most perfect dot grid paper. But it's not just Bloomberg. Actually, fun fact, New York Magazine, they tested 100 pens to find the top pen and after testing all of those pens, they rated Baron Fig's Squire pen the number one pen. The number one pen. It's not just me, y'all. You got to give them a try. And guess what? We got you hooked up with the discount code. If you go to baronfig.com today, enter in the discount code SECRET20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. Again, that's SECRET20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. 
Oh, I'm like so jealous that you're gonna get to see all this for the first time because they're they're their products are so delicious. Anyway, uh, enjoy, have fun, let us know how you use the tools, and let's get back to the show. Yeah, it's got to be hard to cut through the noise, and also because of what you do is is literally entangled in all of that. So it's like, yes and no, but maybe, and let me explain. And it's sort of that educational stuff that we're just starting to understand. Like I remember um, my parents, we did the the AI generated photos. I mean, I think my mom's brain just exploded, you know, like just seeing her young self with like flowers and like a Renaissance lady, you know, and, and it's interesting explaining what those things are to someone that's like, that grew up with a, like a black and white color television and like radio and like, is like, what is even happening? You know, we're, there, <laughs> there's so many different varying degrees of, of where we're at from an educational standpoint, because it's just going so fast. Like it's just happening incredibly quickly. So I would love to touch on operations because I think what got me excited was that you are efficiency focused and you've got that sort of DNA in what you do. So can you explain how operations and technology fit together within your world and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. I think it fits together in A, the product we provide, but also B, in our own internal business. So, you know, the product we provide designed around helping to simplify the whole data analytics process. How do you take your data, find the answers that you need? How do you ask questions? And that's really what we, we've been focusing on the last six years is, you know, how do we enable people to ask questions in natural language and get back answers to what they need on their data? So that applies in every area of operations from finance to HR, you know, hey, what, you know, what's the average age of employees that, you know, leave our company within three years you know is this something that we need to look into okay great now you know what what's the average score of their performance ratings for these employees are you know are they high performers are we losing lots of high performers is that something we need to go and look at what's what are the trends of those things over time so you know our product's really designed to help you ask those questions simply you know, I tend to blend it as, I used to say, you know, it's Siri meets Tableau, but Tableau is actually a big competitor of ours now. So we, we now say, hey, it's, it's Siri meets your data. You know, it's, it's how do we help enable you to ask these questions simply and get back these, you know, beautiful visualizations and charts. So that, you know, that's how our product and our technology blends in the operations space. It's how do you do that? Internally, from an operations standpoint, we are always looking for things to make everything we do more efficient. That's everything from our sales operations. You know, how do we track our leads? How do we track where they are? We use HubSpot for kind of, you know, moving that through the thing. We also use HubSpot for our marketing funnels. You know, how do we make sure that, you know, we're sending out, you know, marketing emails to all the right people at the right times. We're segmenting things appropriately. On the finance side, we use a combination of tools for a, how do we make sure we have a tech budget that our, our employees can use? So how do we make sure we're able to track that in an efficient way? And I'm looking for the most efficient technology. So we actually use a company called Brex that gives you a corporate card for those employees. So we can track every expense they're doing and they have a easy way to take a picture and upload their expenses. And now we don't have to do that manual process of, or at least we've minimized the amount of expense reporting you have to do. So you know, the way I look at tech and operations is it's designed to make it easier for our internal team having to do those things easier. They spend less time on doing the man mundane manual tasks and can focus more on the more interesting things that we need to do on a day-to-day -day basis. So I want to talk about clear query because so in my head as an operations person, I do exactly what you just said. I'm targeting all the different departments, understanding where the data is starting into my like pipeline of operations, how it threads through, where it needs to be used and automated. So when it comes to Clear Query, which is the main product that you all have developed, where does that fit in? Because man, it would be awesome if I could just say something that I want and instead of having to do all of that manual labor, <laughs> just be able to have answers that are a lot faster, especially because when you're in operations or a COO, there's so many things you need to have an attention on. So talk to me about how that product works within the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it fits in each, in almost every area, right? So one of the things that we try to do was be very generic with the product so that we're not targeting one specific type. We're not just targeting sales. We're not just targeting HR. We're not just targeting, targeting marketing. 
we're targeting all of those things. It's really about how do we help you get the answers from your data? So wherever that lives, whatever that data is, you know, we have a lot of government use cases as well, a lot of cybersecurity use cases. So, uh, you know, I can dive into each one of those, but we actually use it internally. Anytime we're about to go to a conference, we'll usually get a list of, hey, here are the other companies that are going to be there, people that have registered. And we can go and augment that with other data to say, okay, great. Based on the company and the job title, this is probably the person. But we can augment that with, hey, here's the revenue size, the size of that company. And now our sales team has a bit of a target that we can throw throw in the clear query and say, hey, how many executives in the finance sector are going to be, you know, at this, uh, be attending this conference, you know, or what are the top sectors that have senior decision makers so that we know who we want to go and target once we go to this conference. So that's one of the ways that we use it internally. And again, you know, this applies, you know, if you're thinking about sales, if you're thinking about marketing, how do I even segment and break down my user base? We have, you know, a capability that we call um, automated insights, which will automatically drill into your data and highlight and surface for you. You know, here's the breakdown of how things are kind of spread across the board. Maybe it's by job title, maybe it's by industry, you know, just using that same example. Again, if I move into a, you know, an HR context, maybe I'm looking at, hey, let's look at our top performing performers. How many of them have college degrees versus not? How many of them, you know, have worked other jobs? How many of them have, you know, 10 to 12 years of experience versus, you know, one to two years of experience. And how do we, you know, use that to determine how to, uh, how to, how to best impact our business? How do we identify those people and maybe replicate what they're doing? One of the really interesting use cases that we found is, you know, if you're looking for people that are searching for data on a day-to-day basis, and that's their core job is, Hey, being good data analysts and good stewards of data if you actually look at the analytics of how people are searching that data, so if I look at the analytics of how my top performers are actually running through it, yeah, it's a little bit meta, but now I can start to identify, okay, here's how people are doing this. Now I can go and retrain everyone else on how to best become a uh, someone that can drill into their, their data in a really interesting way. Because, you know, (laughs) my brain exploded because I think when I talk about operations, if you are in operations or technology, it looks incredibly boring. But I think what it's very hard to explain is how incredibly creative it is. Like that is an incredibly creative way to use technology and data to understand human behavior, to help other people and to become more effective. And then they can do other things. Like that's where I... It's like um, technology becomes your canvas to be able to paint on and you can have all these different paints to, to use, data analytics, natural language processing, all these different things that you can use to get a, try new things and reinvent the way that you're doing what you're doing today. Whoa. Oh my gosh. So when we're talking about operations through the lens of technology, through the lens of these products, what do you think that people just get wrong about this? Because obviously I'm like a super fan of these types of things and this type of thinking, but for people who aren't, what do you think they just get wrong about it? Yeah, I think, you know, we we touched on it a little bit earlier, but this is the one thing that I run into so often is people are always concerned that, hey, this is going to remove your job. It's it's replacing you. It's It's not meant to replace you. It's really meant to help augment what you do. You move away from those mundane day-to-day tasks, but you also just set it, it helps you get to that more creative part of your job, right? Because there are creative aspects to all of these operations tasks. There are other things that you should and could be doing if you're able, if you have the room and space to actually do those things and you removed all of the, you know, manual, hey, I have to do this day in, day out type things. So that's, that's really uh, one of the big things that I think people tend to miss about operations and tech is it's really an augment, not a replacement by any stretch. Do you think that the only way for people to really understand is to kind of go through the emotional roller coaster <laughs> of feeling what is possible? Like, I remember specifically working with certain teams and me sort of telling them, oh, we can automate this and this can trigger this. And then when we do this, it can do, you know, kind of like going a little bit of a, just like 
down the rabbit hole of the dominoes that you can do in operations when you have these kind of tools at your disposal. And there was such resistance because I don't even know if I made sense. I probably wasn't even speaking English, you know, like I wasn't even communicating in a way that they could understand it. But then once they saw it, then it was like, everything sort of came into focus, but I had to kind of go through a lot of teeth pulling to get there. Do you find that too? Like people have to experience it to understand it? Or are you seeing that adapt more? I'm seeing a little bit more adaptation these days. You know, generationally, in truth, right? It's very different, right? You know, people that grew up with technology can tend to see it a lot faster, right? Whereas people that, hey, technology started coming in and eking out other things, it's a very different kind of mindset. What I have found to be probably the most beneficial way for us to kind of go in and pitch and sell these concepts is really putting myself in the mind of what does that person do on a day-to-day job? So understanding, hey, what is your role? What are you doing? Which means that I have to learn a lot more about what their jobs are so that I can actually speak their language. Okay, you're probably doing X, Y, and Z day-to-day. You know, hey, here's some you know random thoughts and ideas that I had just thinking about this, you know, in the five minutes that I had. And that usually triggers something in them. They're like, okay, yeah, that's cute and cool, Tim, but I've been doing this for 50 years. I've actually got another idea based off of what you said, but thanks for you know getting my brain going on this type thing. So sometimes it's a little bit of that education and being able to speak the same language. And that's that's really one of the things that we try to do, you know, as as efficiently as we can um, when we're going in and talking about, you know, how technology can make things more efficient. That's a great approach. I also think I'm trying to think of ways that I've been able to get there faster is like when you talk about a pain point that really hurts and then they're like, yeah, let's fix that. I really hate that thing. And then that seems to kind of lead that kind of like allows you to move faster through the process of adopting it because they just want to get that pain point done. So that's like on the other side of, you know, you're going the more inspirational route and I'm sort of like, let's solve that thing. That's a pain in the butt for you. But both things are entangled, I'm guessing. Yeah. And I think both things are entangled, right? So, you know, usually it's the, Hey, if we can get that thing out of the way, here's some of the other interesting things that you could do or, you know, but it's, yeah, they're very entangled. Yes. Solving that pain point is Usually, I think solving a pain point is the number one way to get you know people to adopt something, but getting them over that threshold of, hey, once that pain point's gone, what is my job? It takes a little bit more of that inspirational piece. So yeah, I think they're both very entangled there. So I want to dip into a question for the more technical folks that are listening. Out of pure curiosity on my part, which is what is the technical stack that you have worked with over the years and how has that adapted as technology has adapted? Text, my tech stack has evolved over the years um, you know, quite drastically. I used to be a back-end Java developer, pure Java, um, you know, building spring applications and those types of things. Eventually moved into you know, web application development using, you know, JavaScript and, you know, not until recently, Node.js, React.js types of things. Data stack has varied. It's always been a little bit different for me. And Deca was, you know, one of those ones. I've used the Oracle MySQL, you know, databases, relational data stores back in the day. Then I moved to using Elasticsearch almost like exclusively for way too many things abuse technologies in ways that they were not designed and then I make them work in the way I want them to work. But um Lafferch <laughs> is definitely work um in terms of a backend data store. But you know, run the gambit of you know the full you know MySQL backends to you know Node.js front ends. You know, I, I tend to stay in this web application stack, but I've also done the mobile application. So that you know that's a very interesting shift in mindset and how you kind of develop when you're looking at iPhones, it's Objective-C. When you're looking at Androids, you're talking about Java and it's a whole different game. I had a mental block with that. I like tried to do mobile app developing and I was like, nope, back to web development land for me. I did it for a little while and had some personal things that I did, but yeah, web development felt so much better for me. It's just, it's easier and that's kind of, you know, where we've stayed as a company in general. 
So interesting. So that's just, if you're listening to that and you're like, all of those words make no sense. Essentially, they're just different languages that from a technology standpoint, you can write technology in different languages and different types of applications, whether you're creating a website, a mobile application for your phone or something else require different knowledge. So especially I think what's evolved in the last couple of years is again, democratizing, making those languages more approachable, uh, more easy to understand from like a language standpoint. Like a lot of the older languages were very technical, like a lot of syntax. JavaScript has a lot of semicolons that are the bane of your existence. So like iterating it so that more people can adopt it, it, it into their own needs. All right. That's a serious question. Tabs or spaces? Drama. Okay. I'm, I'm a tab girl. Okay. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm also a tab guy. So we're good. We can, we can I started it. sweating. No joke. Really intensely. I was like... <laughs> If people are listening to us and they're like, wow, these are these people, they've got something. I want to do this thing that they're doing. I guess where would you start today? Because, you know, you've evolved with technology. And if you're starting today, I gotta I gotta admit that might be overwhelming to like look at this whole thing. You know, where do you pick your niche? But how would you, I don't know, how would you guide people into that journey from a technology standpoint, but also, you know, if we're talking about augmented intelligence, if we're talking about, you know, search query, like where would you guide people? Just a couple of answers to that question. One, um, I wish the resources that are available today were available when I was growing up learning most of these things. I kid you not, I was literally in bookstores. I like, I will never forget. My mom would like, let me go and sit there for hours and just like flip through books and go home. I actually do need to go back and, you know, thank her for that. But, you know, now you've got everything's available on YouTube. You've got free courses galore. There's a whole bunch, there's a slew of resources on the internet where you can just get started. There are a lot of languages that you can start with too. You know, I talked about JavaScript and JavaScript's a pain of a language in general. And, you know, it does, it takes a little bit of background, but a lot of people, especially when you're getting into data, they start with Python. And Python is a, it is a relatively simple language for you to kind of get started with. The syntax is usually easier for the brain to kind of comprehend and start diving into. So it makes it easier for people to just get started. So Python, I think, is you know definitely a good go-to start, if you, especially if you're talking about getting into data and data analytics or you know AI, machine learning, any of those things, because Python is really the core of a lot of those things. Even when we started, our core platform was built you know in Python. You know we had the core engine for doing the intent understanding and natural language processing, entity attraction type things. All of that was done in Python. And over the years and, you know, very short time span, there started to become a whole lot of libraries and things that were implemented in JavaScript, in Node.js that we were able to take advantage of that allowed to move our stack to something that all of our team could use instead of us having to have a set of just core Python developers working on those things. So, you know, that's you know how, kind of how some of our things have evolved along the way. But um, again, You've got, uh, goodness, Coursera online. Um, you've got, I, I've got a, a long email that I normally send to a lot of my friends that will ask me this very question, how do I get into tech? And I say, well, it depends on what area and it goes into, hey, if you're interested in development, if you're interested in cybersecurity, and I've got links to like various free courses and some paid courses, but it really just depends on how much investment you want to put into that. That said, I think the number one thing that I always tell everyone is, before you get into it, have a project or an idea in mind. What is the thing that you want to solve? Because that's going to make it more interesting and bring it home for you. So as you're learning these techniques and skills, you can go and apply those to your project, the thing that you're hyper interested in. And now it's going to become, it's going to, it's going to sink in a whole lot more and you're going to be able to think about things in a very different way. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I I also, from my own experience, I think knowing the best way that you learn also is super helpful. Like I'm a doer. I got to get be cornered into doing something and I got to prove somebody wrong. Like that's how I know I learned. <laughs> so for other people, it might be like, I'm uh, the fact that you learn coding by reading, I'm like, wow, that is amazing because you have to translate that into the interface. But some people, that's where they, they learn audio, visual, right? I think that's also another layer that can pair be paired with that thing that you want to build and there's so many tools you're right like just it's and a lot of them are free i think that's the thing is like you just have to have the want to learn and you've got to know how you learn best 
merge those two things and you're in the right direction. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I mean, there's just too much. We need, we need at least two hours because I do want to wrap up with some of that human level part of you and getting to know you as a human being. So, so we've got some rapid fire questions. Again, go with your gut on these just to get to know him as the human. So the first one is, what is the favorite part of your day? Honestly, when, when I do wake up because my brain is kind of on rapid fire on you know the 10 million things I need to be doing. Um, it's also probably the most stressful part of my day because I'm thinking about all of those different things and trying to figure out how I'm going to fit everything in. But it's exciting because my brain does get going in a, in a fun way. Anytime I have a meeting with a client or a, um, even, you know, internally with employees, it's, it's definitely a excitement because now I'm, I'm having to exercise muscles that I don't normally exercise. Um, because I, sometimes it's you're on autopilot. So when I get a chance to do something that's talk about something that I wasn't thinking of before, it just starts to really flex those muscles and gets my creative juices flowing a little bit. What is something that makes you little kid happy? Ooh, dark chocolate. Like I am obsessed with dark chocolate. Um, so I have a, uh, I have a client and the office admin on the front of her desk, as soon as you walk in the office, she has this little bowl of candy and like, I always go and look and she knows I'm obsessed with dark chocolate. So she always fills it with dark chocolate when she knows I'm coming. So like that, that does get me a little bit hacky. So I do, I do love some uh, dark chocolate. A follow-up question to that important question, which is, is there a percentage of dark chocolate that you aim for? Typically that 72 to 78% range, anything above that low, way too sweet, that 72% range is like right on the cusp of like perfection there. <laughs> totally, totally. Anything above gets to get in that dirt range, which like sometimes I'm down, but other times no. What, what book are you currently reading or listening to? There's a uh, poker strategy book by Daniel Negreanu, Negreanu um, that I actually just purchased, just hit my uh, uh, door yesterday, as a matter of fact. So I'm getting ready to do a deep dive into that one. I'm a big poker player, so I'm always looking for interesting strategy and angles and things like that. Very cool. What is the best purchase you've made under $50? This is going to sound a little weird, but all right. So I've, I've carried a pen with me in my pocket every day since I was like a young child, like just always. Um, so I, I carry like G2 pens with me, you know, all the time and I just keep them on. Those are, you know, cheap, cost absolutely nothing, but it's like the most used thing that I keep on me because I am constantly writing things down. There's something about writing for me that helps commit things. And like even typing doesn't have the same effect as actually writing something down. So there are some times where if I have like a coding idea where I will like literally write the code down on paper so to help keep that committed to memory, even if I throw it away, the fact, the act of writing it down helps. So I'm going to go with the pens. Very cool. I love, I do think it's hard to find your soulmate pen. And then once you find it, you, you have it for life. This is true. <laughs> what is your favorite quote? Favorite quote. One of my favorite books ever is um, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. It's a fantastic business book. If you're ever just getting started in a business, it goes into a bunch of founder you know, stories and, hey, here's the things that you run through at different stages and those types of things. But I actually, I, I do, we do a company newsletter and every month I started off with a quote and I actually used this one maybe just a couple of months ago. So uh, take care of the people, the products and the, and the profits in that order. That is like the key crux of that quote. It's a, much longer than that, but that's the crux of it is the people, the product and the profits. And that's exactly how we try to run our business. Take care of our people, have you know the best benefits we can possibly have, make sure people have the best lifestyle that they can possibly have. The product is secondary, make sure the product, because if you take care of the people, the people are going to take care of the product. Once you take care of the product, the product's going to help drive those profits. And that's how we look at things from a business perspective. Wow. I got to read that. That sounds amazing. A fantastic book. I, I pull quotes from it all day long. So um, one of my favorite books, I've reread it probably more times than anything else. It's definitely a fantastic book. So at this point in your life, what do you think is the most important lesson you've learned? This goes back to childhood, how my parents raised me, et cetera. You know, take care of the people around you. You take care of the people around you. 
A, the world's just going to be a better place in general because people are just generally happy. B, you know, it, it helps to make things a lot more fun. I mean, if you, if you look at the way we built our company, our culture was designed around, hey, we're going to throw people into positions that they've never done before. We're all starting this off. You know, when I started the business, I'd never run a business before. I'd never done ops before. I had to figure a lot of these things out on the fly. You know, how do we do finance? How do we do contracts? How do we, all the different things that you have to do. So when we hire, I look for people that have hustle and are really willing to, hey, I can grit in and figure out how to do the thing, even if they've never done it before. So, you know, as long as you're taking care of those people and you're giving them the opportunities, you're going to see that, you know, it returned in spades. I think that applies in every aspect of your life, right? Making sure you take care of the people around you, no matter where they are, that's going to return to you in spades, but also it just feels good to do it. Last rapid fire question, which is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, I ask myself this question like every other day. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. Um, I actually joke with a lot of my team. It's like, I don't know what I want to be when I I had designs on being a lawyer. I had designs on being a doctor. I had designs on being an astronaut. You know, I run the gambit. Now all I know is I think I will always be running a business um, after we have whatever exit we have with this business. I will be starting another one. I don't know what that is yet, but I've got a million and one ideas and we're going to throw darts at them until we figure out which one makes the most sense. So I think that that entrepreneurial lifestyle is definitely the, the right fit for me. You know, what exactly that looks like, it could change. Who knows? Next time I may be in a completely different field. It may not be tech, but you know, I'm definitely always going to be kind of driving on building something I'm creating. Tim, I'm so sad that our time is up because I just have so many more questions for you. Um, I just got to thank you very much for taking complex concepts and bringing them to life in a really approachable way. If people are also as jazzed as I am, where can they find you and the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So you can definitely find uh, find me on LinkedIn. I'm LinkedIn slash N slash Tim Tut, T-U-T-T. I'm on Twitter as Tim F. Tut. There's someone else that had uh, my old handle or the uh, the handle I try to use everywhere, um, but I am Tim F. Tutt on Twitter. And then, you know, if you're interested in data analytics and want to give us a shot, clearquery.io is our website. Um, check us out there. We've got a free tier for you to check out as well. Tim, thank you again. We will have to do another part. Listeners, thank you so much for listening to Secret Ops. You've no idea how much it means. Please make sure to follow us wherever you find your podcast and check us out at secret-ops.com. We'll see you next time. Hey, listener. Do you want to be a top operator in business and in life? Well, we at Secret Ops are here to help you do just that. Check out our monthly Secret Ops newsletter with exclusive intel just for you. From bonus content to secret resources, we've given you the VIP access. To sign up, check out the link in the description. And as always, thanks for listening.